man, Darcy and I are so, so incredibly blessed, so grateful uh, for God's call in our lives and uh, specificity of that call to be here uh, with you on a, on a regular weekly basis. Man, we're just giving thanks and, and uh, you know, land here in Middle Tennessee and, and more so than place, it's people, right? It's people. And um, so we're just incredibly, incredibly grateful. Uh, you guys know what this is? It's a mirror. It's actually my wife's mirror, and that's why she's not here at the first service. Uh, she might be a little delayed this morning, but it's a mirror. And when you look at the mirror, did you get a look in the mirror? I'm looking around. Some of you did not look in the mirror. But when you looked in the mirror this morning, when you, well, I don't want to look in that. When you looked in the mirror this morning, what did you see? I remember someone telling me that I had a, I had a face for radio, and I thought, that is not a compliment, is it? That's not, uh, but do you like what you see? When you, when you hold up the mirror, when you walk into the bathroom, when you look in the mirror, do you like what you see? Or does it just kind of depend, right? It's, it depends on the day. It was a, it was a good hair day. It was, uh, you know, I lost a few pounds. Someone came up to me and said, man, have you been working out? You look younger than you actually, I didn't mean to look at you when I said that, yeah. Uh, but but the, the mirror, the mirror is, is really a way to imagine an answer to this age-old question of who am I? And really behind our wrestling with that question is our, our two more probing questions, and that is, will I be loved? Will I be loved? And will people accept me once they really really get to know me, right? Or, or as I dealt with uh, my own anxiety, a bit of that this week, even though I've, I think I counted, I've, I've preached like over 700 sermons over the past 35 years, still my anxiety kicked in this week, and it's like, you know, will, will anyone like me after they hear me preach for the first time at fellowship? <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> That's, wow. Uh, but what we see Truth is, what we see in the mirror, it really impacts and affects every part of our lives. Not only our perspective on our own identity, but it, it impacts how we see God and how we see one another. That's why it's so important for us to have some clarity on this topic of identity, because it's not just a cultural issue, it's a very real and personal issue as well. Fifteen years ago, I had... Uh, honestly, no clue how to answer that question. I was having a, uh, if you will, a major identity crisis, or more, um, more truthfully, I was having a life or death crisis. And when I looked in the mirror, I saw a, a confused, um, broken, sinful, sorry excuse of a man. And my broken state, that would have been tough enough, but it was amplified because, because too much of my identity was wrapped up in my titles, pastor and husband and father, or too much of my identity was wrapped up in my track record, my successes, or my failures. Can you identify? 1 Corinthians 13, 12, there at the top of your outline, it tells us what the problem is. It says, now we see things imperfectly, like, like uh, uh, puzzling reflections in a mirror. It's like we're looking at one of those, you know, those fun house mirrors where everything is misshapen, everything is distorted. It, 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 it's uh, like one of those 
apps, you know, we're on the phone and we can make ourselves younger or older or, or thinner or look like a cat or, you know, whatever. Uh, but here's the good news. The rest of that passage is when we look in the mirror through the lens of God's perspective, his truth, but then we will see everything with perfect, what? Clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. We all want to know who we are, right? And many of us have taken a, a, a variety of personality inventories, of tools, of resources. We, we find out that we're a, a lion or a, a beaver or an ENFPJ or an activator or a competitor or a high D, a low I or a three, six, or a nine in the Enneagram. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, get with it. <laughs> all right? No. I mean, they, these, these are helpful tools, all right? I'm married to a counselor, I, I and mean, it's just, she's had me take every assessment known to mankind, all right? <laughs> it's just true. Uh, but, but as helpful as these tools can be, have you ever stopped to ask, what does God think about me? What does, uh, who does he say that I am, right? Because if he says it, then I should believe it, because what? It's true. It's true. If we want clarity on our identity, we need to go to the one who made us. The one who made us and who knows us completely and accepts us and loves us anyway. There is a, a biblical identity that is true for all of humanity. And that's where Jeff and Monty have gone the last two weeks, uh, making clear from the Bible the last two weeks, the core of our identity is this, that, that we are all... All, all of us, everyone, all of creation, all of humanity, were image bearers. Genesis 1, it says that he created us. Hey, it helps if I actually have this in my ear instead of hanging on my lapel. Maybe. Is that better? Wow. Rookie mistake. Back in my day, they didn't have that technology. You done that before, Jeff? We have witnesses. Yeah. Uh, Genesis 1, he, he created us in his own image, male and female, he created us. That, that's a clear foundation of our, our biblical identity, right? That God knit us together, that we are uniquely and wonderfully and fearfully made image bearers. That's our identity. And then there's our Christian identity, though. That's the, the leap we're going to take uh, this morning. That's what we're talking about. Look at your outline, and let's fill in these blanks. It says, as a Christian, you cannot talk about your identity without talking about the action of God on you. The action of God on you, or the relationship of God with you, and the purpose of God for you. You cannot talk about your identity without talking about the action of God on you, the relationship of God with you, and the purpose of God for you. In the beginning, God. In the end, God. Everything in between, God. Creation, salvation, sanctification, glorification, all God. God made us and only God can restore us back to the image of his originally designed that 
uh, was damaged in the fall, that, was, that was, is still being damaged by sin, he does that by changing the reflection in the mirror from our sin to our Savior, from our, our unrighteous imperfections to his perfect righteousness. At the heart of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a Christian is to receive a brand new identity in Christ. In Christ. Uh, in Christ, that's Paul's favorite term for a Christian. In fact, Christians only use like three times in Scripture. But in Christ, Paul uses that 164 times in the New Testament. In Christ or in the Lord or in him. Your life is found in Christ. Your hope is found in Christ. Your purpose is found in Christ. Your identity is found in Christ. In Christ. In Christ. Second Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new has come. Praise God. Praise God. God, I mean, these bodies, when I look in the mirror at mine anyway, I'm like, praise God, I get a new one. Praise God. We're all, we're all wasting away. We're, we're, we're wasting away, but this isn't our home. Our world is wasting away, but this isn't our home, amen? This isn't who we are meant to be. This isn't who we really are. This isn't who we will become, amen? The, the word here is new, and that means it's a uh, the, the, the word as it's defined in the original language is it's brand new. It's like brand new, past, present, future. It's all new. All things are made new in Christ. In Christ, we do not lose our true selves. Someone will say, man, you know, Christianity, Christians, like, you know, you're just all cookie cutter. Man, are you kidding? Look around. We find ourselves in Christ. We don't lose ourselves in Christ. We find out who we truly are. Christ alone has the final word, not, not our social media feed and not our latest successes or failure and not someone who, who said something about us you know, years ago, maybe someone who loved us, maybe someone who didn't care for us, but those words stuck in us, something from a mom, a coach, a teacher, whoever it was. Maybe even words that we gave to ourselves. But his word is the very place that we ought to go to find out who we really are. God's word, from beginning to end, it, it, it shapes and defines who we are. Uh, his word is, is uh, I like the metaphor in Scripture of the word of God being a perfect mirror. The word of God being a perfect mirror uh, that I look into and I see myself as I really am as I will become. In the difficult years that, that followed my, my own personal identity crises, God, God kept bringing me back uh, to Romans chapter 8. It was a mirror for me, something that I, I could look at and, and receive, something that was so difficult for me to receive at the time. Some truthful word about who I really was when I was struggling with who I felt like I was, who others thought that I was, but instead who I was in Christ, how I could and how I should live. 
So I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 8. And I'm perfectly fine if you use your phones. And I'll tell you why. I'll give you a reason why. Uh, God's word is not ink on a page. It's living and active. All right. Sorry, Jeff. Yeah, I know. Hey, you know, take it for what it is, brother. But, but I, 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 I just, I don't care where you find it and read it in all seriousness. But, but we need to go there. We need to go there. And so I want you to go there right now, open it up, and take a look. Uh, and uh, I want to share uh, seven truths from the mirror of God's word that should be reflected in the lives of those who are being transformed into the image of God by the spirit of God in, in the lives of those who are in Christ. In Christ, we can live, number one, without condemnation. Without condemnation. In verse one, it says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Chapter 8 of Romans is kind of a bridge, and, and so heavy, systematic, if you will, theology through those first seven chapters, and he's going to move to some application and relationship in, in the rest of it, but here is like this bridge, and he summarizes it all in this verse. There is therefore now no condemnation. And, and that word no, it's the strongest word you can use for no. It means no, no how, no way. I'm good at the obvious. Uh, 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 no, why? Because of the cross, because Jesus died there. My, my sins have already been paid for. And if Jesus paid for my sins, then I don't need to. I mean, why would I pay for something twice, <laughs> right? You can stop crucifying yourself. He's been crucified for us on our behalf. This isn't about us. This isn't about you and me. It isn't about what we've done or what we've left undone. Self-condemnation is a form of self-righteousness. Because what it's saying is, you know, not that I'm too good for God, but it's kind of saying I'm too bad for God. And what you're saying is less about you than more about your, your, your idea of who he is and his power and his ability and what he's accomplished through the cross. The Lord doesn't shame us or try to embarrass us. We may carry that, that, that baggage around. And I know many of you do. Many of us do. We, we may have those very real emotional triggers in our life through trauma or wh whatever it is. But everything Paul has shared to this point is summarized again in this declaration that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Good news? That's great news. But it's not for everybody. Okay, I want to be very clear. We, we talked about biblical identity. Now we're talking about Christian identity. And this is only for those who are in Christ. How do you end up in Christ? How do you end up in Christ? Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20. You might want to jot that down. But the activator of this dynamic, of this relationship, of what it means to be enfolded in Christ, 
by his spirit is faith. Faith is the activator. Faith is the, the sign in me of my being crucified with Christ. A dead uh, to sin, but alive in Christ. I can't, right? I can't buy it. I can't beg for it. I can't bribe God for it. I don't deserve it. I, I, it, it is what? It's a gift from God. It's a gift from God. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's a gift. My identity, your identity, our identity is a gift from God. It's the reflection of Christ in me. In Christ, a life without condemnation. Number two, a life without domination. Verses 2 to 17. In verse 2, it says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And really much of the rest of that section through 17 is breaking that down. But it's saying without Christ, sin and death dominate us. They dominate our lives. We are slaves to the flesh, to our flesh. But in Christ, the spirit of life gives us freedom. Free from the penalty of death, right? Because the wages of sin is death, but here's this gift from God, life. Free from the penalty of death and free from the power of sin. From God's perspective in Christ, we who are in Christ, we are positionally, we are positionally without sin. That's how he sees us, positionally. Now, practically, bummer, a different story, right? Because it, it, it's not that you're not going to sin. But when he looks at you, when he looks at us, he doesn't see our titles or our track record. He sees Christ in you. A new creation, a, a new you, a total uh, shift, if you will, of our identity. In verse 15, it says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. In, in, in Christ, we, we don't have to live in bondage to sin. We don't have to live overwhelmed and overcome by the, the, the influences and the desires of the flesh, the lies of the devil that try to dominate our lives. We are God's creation. We are heirs with Christ. We can change. We will change. Why? Because we have been changed we have been changed in Christ. In Christ, I am no longer a slave to sin. In Christ, I, I no longer will come under the, the, the penalty, the, this legal term of no longer being condemned. I, I'm no longer under the, the penalty. I'm no longer convicted as guilty and, and, and sentenced, to, uh, sentenced uh, to death. But I've been given life. I've been exonerated. I've been redeemed. He paid the price to set me free. He took my place. We are not in control. But we're not out of control. Instead, we're under his control. And it's really a paradox, isn't it, that, that uh, we, we, um, as we surrender to his power, as we come under his authority in our life, under his control in our life, that the result of that is freedom. The result of being a son or a daughter, of really being a slave to Christ, if you will, is freedom, is freedom. 
a life without condemnation, a life without domination. Number three, without desperation, without desperation. Henry David Thoreau said, most people live their lives in quiet desperation, overwhelmed and discouraged and depressed. Life is not easy, right? It's not pain-free or problem-free. The rain falls on the righteous and on the unrighteous. It doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. Not you might, not, not you may, but you will have trouble. And um, man, someone said to me, like, you're, you're either uh, coming out of a problem, headed into a problem, or you're experiencing a problem. Does that apply to everyone here? Yeah, one of those. Um, It's true. Um, We can look, though, in the mirror in the midst of that, and we can feel, like, just overwhelmed. We can feel discouraged and and defeated and and tired and and old and depressed and cynical and bitter and on down the lovely list. Verse 18. Verse 18, it says, Though, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It's not saying that we don't suffer. It's not saying that. It's saying that uh, our suffering, when it's compared to the promises that we have in Christ, they just fall away. They just don't compare. They don't stack up. Christ is in us and and he is the hope of glory. We need this change in perspective when we look in the mirror. We need to to look in the mirror, and and instead of seeing what bounces back, our circumstances, our situation, and our past, and these voices, we need to see Jesus, our hope. Not putting my hope in in what I can see or feel. That's really no hope at all. If If I look at this, I'm sorry if I look at you all, but look at this world, Man, my, my hope is not as, it's low, sorry. But when I, when, I, when I look, instead of through my eyes, and I look at his person and his promises and his provisions, man, there's hope. It says in verse 25 that we hope for what we do not see. And we need to wait for it patiently and persistently. We need to trust and we need to wait. We wait for the day of our redemption. Who we are, who we really are, is still in process. The best is yet to come. It's yet to come. Our bodies, our world, yeah, it's falling apart, but in Christ we have a a certain glorious hope of a glorious uh, future. As followers of Christ, we don't need to live lives of desperation because we know how things are going to end. These light and momentary troubles, they're going to pass. They're going to pass. Man, I remember those days. I'm like, this isn't going to change. This isn't going to end. And the lies of the devil were like, man, you've lost it all, dude. You, you've lost it all. And it was so easy to try to, you know, start to buy into those lies. But to be reminded by a friend of mine who basically said, man, it's going to get better. He's like, I don't know when. I don't know, I don't know how. It may not be it, it, here. It may not be in your life experience here on earth, but it's going to get better. And, and that was uh, not very encouraging in the moment. But day by day, it became more and more encouraging. A light for just taking that next step into that next day, right? Um, We know how it's going to end. Christ, 
again, our troubles, man, in comparison to what he has promised us, his provision for us, a place where there's going to be no more pain, no more suffering, no more sin, no more blurry vision, right? We'll see Jesus face to face. That's where we're going. Number four, uh, without miscalculation, a life without miscalculation in Christ, uh, verse uh, 28. Familiar? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Uh, the, the, probably the most familiar verse, you, you know, uh, maybe next to John 3.16, I don't know. But it's, it's right up there, certainly in this chapter and probably in Romans. Uh, God has a, 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 a purpose behind my problems. He doesn't waste them. God works it all together. God can bring good out of chaos, good out of evil, good out of uh, our stupidity, our failures, out of our sin. We don't have to be perfect to, to fit into. God weaves that into his plan for our lives. We don't have to settle for less than, than second best because of our, our failures. We don't always see it from uh, uh, from our perspective, from our side, but from his side, it's all good. In verses 29 and 30, Paul uh, elaborates on God's plan, God's purpose. He traces God's good and saving purpose uh, through five stages, foreknowledge, predestination, calling, justification, glorification. So for the next 12 hours, we're just going to dive in to all this. We're going we're gonna to dive in. Um, now, just a couple comments. The Hebrew uh, verb to know is more than, far more than intellectual knowledge. It is relational. It, it is the difference of knowing about someone and knowing them. You know what I mean? Really knowing them, knowing their name and caring about them and having a relationship with them. I came to a Christ as a junior in high school. Before that, man, I went, I was churched. I knew about God. I had the language I had the concepts, some of the stories from flannel graph, like in Sunday school, you know, I, I knew, but I didn't know. I didn't have relationship, right? The idea behind this string of words is actually love. The only source of divine election and predestination is divine love. And this love does not deny our response, but it affirms that we choose because we were first chosen, that we love because we are loved. Most of us spend our entire lives trying to earn uh, acceptance from other people. Remember as a kid, you wanted so badly to fit into the in crowd that you'd do almost anything. And, and so what would happen is people would come and say, I dare you. <laughs> I dare you. And you did something stupid, something, you know, unsafe. I, I mean, I'm, I, I made a list. I'm not going to share it all. But, but I'll share a few, like, I, mean, I ate worms, and I, I jumped a train, and, uh, and I kissed Holly Hershey, <laughs> all in a dare, because I wanted to fit in. I did it to be accepted. I mean, I, I, would, I dispensed with my own, my own, like, need for personal safety and, 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 and risked life and limb and lips and I just had my 40th class reunion. I, I didn't go just because I thought I might run into, no, that's not why. But um, we, we love, though, that feeling, don't we? We, we love that, that feeling, that feeling that I'm okay, I'm accepted. I'm accepted. I, I fit in. Somebody has chosen me and accepted me. This isn't, 
This isn't like choosing teams, though, on the playground. God was not obligated to love you or to choose you. He wasn't obligated to do that. And it wasn't based on your performance or your credentials. He chose to carry out an intricate plan that involved the death of his own perfect son, which produced the possibility that all things could work together for good, for those who love God. Because God first loved them and gave up his son for them. Many of you have believed and received Jesus, but have you, have you fully realized that for that to happen, he first had to accept you, that he pursued you, and if he hadn't pursued you, you would never have pursued him. And even knowing everything about you, he still accepts you still chose you, all that in Christ. In Christ, when you look in the mirror, know that you are loved and that you are no mistake. Number five, without intimidation. God not only knows us, he not only loves us, God is for us. God is on our side. Verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? And that's a rhetorical question, right? Paul is posing, the answer is no one. God is for us in that Jesus has already justified us. We are righteous in God's eyes because when God looks at us, he sees him. He sees his son. And knowing that, that there is no record against us, that all is forgiven, why uh, would we need to look in the mirror and see anything but the reflection of the cumulative uh, accusations of our past uh, falling away and instead for us to see the warm embrace of Jesus Christ, a declaration of love and acceptance and forgiveness. We don't need to, to, to hide even though we feel confused or sinful and that we're sorry excuse uh, for a Christian. Not when we see ourselves the way he sees us. Tim Keller shares the irony of our identity in Christ when he writes, you are worse than you think you are but you're also far more loved than you feel you are. Just own it. We need to own it and acknowledge it and confess what is already true, and that, that is that we sin and we are sinners. But we should equally own and confess and acknowledge that we are forgiven and loved. Stop condemning yourself or allowing others to put you down and define you. Don't let shame get the, the best of you. When you look in the mirror, who can bring a charge against you if you are in Christ and covered by the love that was poured out on Calvary? That's a rhetorical question. Number six, in Christ we can live without limitation. Limitation, verse uh, 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. He solved our biggest problem, so everything else is small in comparison. If God loves us enough to send in his son, don't you think he loves us enough to take care of us and provide for us and sustain us? He, he, he wants to, to meet our, our needs. I didn't say once, right? He will supply all of our needs according to his riches. No limitation. We are not limited by 
by our talents. We're not limited by our treasures. We are more than we have. We are more than we know. We are more than we can accomplish. We are not defined by what we possess. We are defined by who possesses us. Everything belongs to him. It's all his. And so what we do is we find in Christ that Christ is enough. He is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. When I'm weak, he is strong. In Christ, we can live lives without condemnation, without domination, without desperation, without miscalculation, intimidation, limitation, and finally, without separation. Without separation. Verses 35 to the end of the chapter. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he makes a list. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We regard it as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Man, fear is devastating, right? I, I, I read that there are more than 600 different kinds of fear, and that list is probably growing. But uh, what do you fear? What do you fear most? Uh, you know, failure, rejection, or criticism, uh, fear of being kind of found out, fear of being alone, um, bugs. I mean, I don't know. But man, when we feel fear, we tend to have a, a, a natural kind of almost involuntary reaction to that, and that is we, we draw back, we isolate, we cringe, and sometimes we attack, <laughs> right? But in Christ, we find uh, in his perfect love that that drives out fear. And in Christ, we find um, significance and security two basic human uh, felt needs that are met in him, day-to-day -day security, eternal security. You may let go, but he never does. You don't have to be afraid of abandonment or rejection or, or loneliness. It, it doesn't depend on me. It depends on God. I, it's not something I earn, so it's not something I can lose. We fail, we stumble, we blow it, we sin, but he still won't let go. We can lose fellowship, but we can't lose relationship. Once a son or daughter, always a son or daughter. Once loved, always loved. And our significance, like our security, is also found in Christ, in putting him fully on display in our lives. Not going to spend time here, but man, we just, if we break down our, our, the purpose behind our identity as those who are in Christ, our image is to reflect his image. That's the ultimate goal of our identity, to know, to be known, and to make him known. That's, that's our purpose. That's our mission. Neil Anderson, Neil T. Anderson writes, you are not who you are in Christ because of the things you have done. You are in Christ because of what he has done. He died and rose again so that you and I could live in the freedom of his love. I am not, I am not something because I am. And so you just fill in that blank. 
with maybe the way you, you find yourselves at times filling that blank, with a title, with a track record, something you know, from the past that has defined you, someone who you've allowed to find you. Man, then just put a big X over that. I am something because I am in Christ. That's it. That's it. When by faith and through grace, we are united to Christ. He comes in and he changes everything. Everything. He arranges and transforms our lives. You go from zero to hero. From, from a nobody to a somebody. And man, I hope and pray that encourages you this morning. That that... that uh, Man, that you just came in and, and what you just received in Christ is just a warm embrace and a warm hug. That you're loved. That you're valuable. That you're forgivable. That you're acceptable. That's who you are in Christ. In Christ. And, and so, uh, so what? I, I, I want to uh, invite you to take another look in the mirror this morning. Um, and, and just to go, what, what do I see? What do you see? Dr. Charles Cooley is a, a former dean of American sociology. He said this, your self-esteem, your self-worth or image is determined to a, a large degree by what you think the people or person that matters most to you thinks about you. And so I want to suggest that you make Jesus Christ the most important person in your life. And then you let him tell you what he thinks about you. Don't take my word for it. Don't take your spouse's word for it. You let him tell you what he thinks about you. You do that as you open up the word of God and allow it to be a mirror that you can look into and you can see yourself as you actually are. And you read verse after verse after verse that displays his goodness and his kindness and his love for those of us who find our lives deeply rooted in Christ Jesus. Paul Tripp uh, wrote this poem. It was part of a devotional that my wife and I do and jumped out about a month ago. And so I just want to share it to you and then we'll take a moment of silence to reflect. And uh, what I might ask you to do, you, you've got, many of you are taking some notes and you've got a piece of paper just to flip that piece of paper over on the back of that, I want you just to jot some words that you hear maybe Jesus sharing with you this morning about your identity, about who you are. Just make some notes of what you've heard from him by his spirit. It says, no need to search for myself. No need to grasp for meaning for my life or purpose for what I do. No need to hope for inner peace, that sense of well-being for which every heart longs. No need to hope that someone or something will make me happy or give me joy. I no longer need any of these things because grace has connected me to you. And you have named me your child. Take a moment. Take a look.
God, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for these powerful words penned by Paul. Meant for us and for each one of us even this morning. That you might speak truth into our lives. To encourage us and inspire us. To draw us closer to you and to find ourselves in you. Your word tells us that if, if anyone is in you, Jesus, that we're new. Those old things have passed away. And the new has come and the new is yet to come and the new will come. And in the newness of life, God, may we find life full and free and forever by faith and through the fullness and sufficiency of your grace. If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I'm just praying that that you would hear his voice. And then when you recognize his voice, you would say yes. Let him love you first. Let him love you best. To chase after you, to pursue you. To give you the, the desire in your heart to respond, yes, Lord. Take me, Lord. Help me to be who I truly am. To live for you. That's true of you this morning. Give thanks to God for this indescribable gift and feel his embrace. May it be so in your name, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen, amen.